Welcome to New Life Baptist Preaching, where we grow in relationships, we grow in discipleship, and grow in Jesus Christ. This series will be looking at the Shema passage that was repeated daily for the Jews in Deuteronomy 6, 4-10. We hope that you subscribe so that you can grow in your worship and obedience of God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'm not sure if I sound hot out there to you all. She's got it. Good deal. So, Deuteronomy 6. We've been going through what has been called the Shema passage. Uh, That is a passage that the Jews would repeat daily um, in their life and with their children, with their families. They would remind themselves not just of this passage, but of all the giving of the law of God, all the fulfillment of the promises of God. And I say that gently because the Jews do not understand all the promises of God. We've been given a fuller revelation under the new covenant, and um, which is more fulfilled, but it makes this passage even sweeter to us. And so as we reflect on all the law of God, we reflect on this passage we've already talked about who God is, how, how we are to love God with every fiber of our being, how we are to uh, teach this to our t- children, to be diligent, to bring about a certain diligence in our lives and in our parenting. Um, this morning, we're continuing. We're in verses 8 and 9 of the Shema passage. And this isn't separate from anything that we've talked about before. We can't divorce this portion from the rest of the Shema. It certainly has everything to do with our love for the Lord, the way that we parent, the way that we teach, and, uh, and how that is expressed in our homes. Um, and yet, the teaching goes deeper. And so this morning, uh, the sermon or the element of the Shema that we're looking at is our constitution. This word of God becoming that which constitutes us in our being. Um, And so I'm going to read as we have the past few Sundays, chapter 6, verses 4 through 10, uh, to give us that context, uh, which is the basic parameters of the Shema. And we'll stand as we honor the reading of God's word. Read this together. Deuteronomy 6, I'll begin reading in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not. Father, we come to you this morning much like Israel. 
before they entered the promised land. Father, we have received your promises. The promises like them have already been given to us. And yet, we await the fullest manifestation of your promise, the fullest fulfillment that comes at your return. Father, as we sense this time is drawing nearer to us, Lord, we pray that you cause us to adhere to this passage. As we've already studied, Lord, that we come to love your word, that we come to teach your word, that we put it at the forefront of of our relationships with our children and our parents or our grandchildren, any who are counted in our household. And Lord, let us cherish these words as they come to define who we are as together we are drawn into the household that belongs to you. So God, we pray that you meet with each of us, that we experience your presence. Lord, that you would give us the help that we need, that you promised to us in the name of Christ. Lord, that we might be reconstituted in and by your word for your glory in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Now this is where, I mean, I is where we break from the Jews and their interpretation of this passage. We've talked about, and I've tried to emphasize the great importance that the Shema passage was uh, to Israel in reciting this, saying again, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, He's one Lord. You need to be reminded of all the promises of God. And yet, I want to admit and just acknowledge on the front side of this, they have a different take when we come to this passage than we do, than what I'm going to present to you today. Whenever they read or have preached to them, thou shalt bind them as a sign on thy hand and shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. This is where they get the use of the Jewish phylacteries. I'm not sure if you've ever seen this, but only among Orthodox Jews, not not Jews who are uh, more loose with the text, but those that, that are trying at least to adhere to Torah, Orthodox Jews, those that make their pilgrimage, they'll strap the little uh, box, it's like a little black box to their head uh, that is said to contain a tiny scroll and they'll they'll bind them as bracelets and and, and they'll adhere to this the same way they will to not shaving the corners of their beard, wearing their tunic with four tassels and so on. And so they get from this passage, they get the use of these phylacteries that they're going to wear this tiny scroll on their head and, and, and on their hand. Now, that should be obvious to a Christian that that's foolishness. All of God's Word makes clear that, that He desires more than outward tradition, more than superficial adherence. It's the same conversation whenever we discuss circumcision. God says, Jesus interprets for us, look, it's not a circumcision of the flesh that matters, but a circumcision of the heart. 
You need to be separated from the flesh. You need to be set apart as a people apart from the world. There's something different about you. Now, there's not a doubt in my mind you're going to look different with a tiny box strapped to your head, but that's not the point. The point is that this Word of God that's being prescribed for us, which is all of the commandment, is what it is that's somehow going to identify us as a people of God. And so they misunderstood it. This is the same Phariseeism that is rebuked time and again by Christ. Now, to be fair, we're not supposed to be loose with this at all. We're not supposed to say this isn't a literal translation or, or, or whatever. Because we're, I think we should have a somewhat of a rigid interpretation of this text. But it's not in the way that they did. That is what makes the Pharisees the brood of vipers. And I want to be careful because it's, uh, oftentimes the Pharisees get a bad rap. They were the ones who were more closely aligned with the Word of God than any other Jewish sect. Which is why I think Christ had so much interaction with the Pharisees. Not because He disliked them, but because He loved them. And He wanted them to see what is the true interpretation of this text. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Before we do, there's something very beautiful in this passage. And it's very useful in our memorizing it so that it might be recited. That would help us to remember because see, these weren't words written for our reading. They were words spoken for our memorization, for our preaching. It's these words that were supposed to be taught within the house and, and along the way, when we lie down, when we rise up. And so, so there's something, there's another Jewish tactic that we see here, a Hebrew tactic, a literary skill in this passage. I think sometimes whenever we read Hebrew text, there's, there's a number of, of tactics that they'll use in the Hebrew that we don't always pick up in, the, in our English translation. One of those is a chiasm. It's called a chiastic structure. And, what you, and, and the way I think we see it here is a bit of a stair step. We get A, B, C, and then C, B, A. Uh, either a reversal or a repetition of almost the same phrases or words. And so it, it would help the person who's hearing this preach to them for the first time from Joshua or from the, the, if you're an Israelite, hearing this from your parents or anytime as this is repeated and preached, it would be easy to memorize when we come across some of these tactics. Here, the way that I see this is we've already talked about and are not spending our time as much in that exhortation to teach this in your house, in your house, as you walk along the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. And now we're being told that this should be bound uh, to us in verse 8 as a sign upon our hand when we rise up to work. As frontless between our eyes, maybe our thoughts when we rest. The doorposts of our house and on our gates. That's in and outside the home, is it not? In thine house, along the way, on the doorposts and on the gates, from the inside, from the outside. I think there's something beautiful that's used here to help us to remember. It's just a literary tactic. And so we see that in Scripture. When we see it, we should notice it. We should notice it. We should commit these things to memory. And now, let's just jump in and, and talk about 
What is the meaning then? Whenever we say, you shall take this word, all this law that God's prescribing for Israel before they enter into the promised land. Remember, this is Deuteronomy, the second giving of the law. He's going to re reacquaint the people of God, where they, even where they've been unfaithful, even where they have not circumcised their children, when they've not done all these things, he's reacquainting them with his own word. And he says this time, bind this as frontlets on your eyes. Bind them on your hand. So first there is bind them as a sign for a sign upon thine hand. Now, it has happened through history that people make these clear identity markers. Maybe you wear a bracelet or, a, or, or, or something like that. It's true that some Egyptian Christians I've heard put a Coptic symbol to identify themselves as Christian. None of that is what I think is actually what's being spoken here. God doesn't want the entire law of His command literally written on your hand it seems obvious that he wants this to dictate our work. He wants this to identify the deeds of his people. I think this is quite common because we talk about the hand of God when we pray to see the hand of God. We're not praying for a giant hand to somehow descend down in our presence and, and flop around or something or... or Make shadows on the wall. We're praying for God to work in our midst. And so whenever He calls us, take this law that I've given you, you're going to teach it diligently. It's going to identify all this inside the home and outside the home, all that you are. And it needs to, it needs to show up whenever you go to work. And what it is you invest your time and your effort in ought to show forth the glory of God. It ought to give him praise. And so it shows up in the way that we work as Christian. Whenever we do. James says don't be hearers of the word only, but be doers of the word. Was James preaching from Deuteronomy? That seems to be what the word of God is saying. Let, let us do the word of God. Go in here and don't let your actions, when you enter to the promised land, do not let your actions be devoid of this Word of God. You're my people. Let it show forth in what you do. Bind this as frontlets between your eyes. Now are we to put a box with the Torah on our heads? Are we covered while we think sinful thoughts? While we cover the outside in the Word of God or in robes of white and are wicked inwardly? Are we to be whitewashed tombs the way Christ called the Pharisees? Or does this mean that it is to be as forefront, at the forefront of our minds, before our eyes all the time? Now, it's true, sometimes we need these literal and physical re reminders. You know, we think of the horses. Now that we have more Amish community around here, and we look to our Amish friends, well, their horses go by and they've got blinders on. 
Why do they have them? So they don't suffer distraction. Cars, everything else. So in a similar way, we can think of literally having something bound here in front of us, like the phylacteries or or like a carrot before a donkey or a blinders on, on the mule. But it's to be God's Word. Always before our eyes. At the forefront of our minds, dictating our thoughts. This is very important because it doesn't... You can't just adhere to the Word of God indeed and be thinking dirty, sinful, or godless thoughts and be okay. It's one thing to clean up your speech and to stop cussing or something else or to be kind to someone on the outside while thinking bitter thoughts toward them. As we, as we engage in our fight with sin, we've got to get to this level. We've got to bring God's Word not just on the outside, not in just what we do, uh, say, and, and act. It's got to be what we think. We've got to think godly thoughts. We've got to have God's Word dictating every thought in our mind. We take our thoughts captive. And so this is frontlets. Between our eyes. It never departs from our thinking. Each time when Israel went astray, the idols were tore down and the word of God was brought out before the people. God's word must be before our eyes. All the day long. You sometimes hear pastors or Christians talk about worldviews. I really like that term because it is a lens through which you view the world. The Bible isn't something too often we come to the Bible, we come to God's Word, and we we interpret it through our tradition, through our experience, through uh, whatever. If If it is family or church or something else, you know what? Scrap all of it. You don't come to church to hear the Bible. We view church through the Bible. The Bible, God's Word, is is how we're going to look at what it it means to be a church. That's ecclesiology. So the Word of God must always dictate the Christian's thoughts. So he continues... Got them on our hand and on our before our eyes. Thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house. Now we've talked about this a little bit because we've talked about teaching. When you sit in your house, when you walk along the way. So whenever you're in your house, God's word should reign in your home. God's word should serve as the authority in our most dear and our most private parts of life. The areas where we are most protected and most comfortable. The areas that not everyone is privy to. God reigns in the home. And so God's law reigns in everything that occurs in the home. There's no end 
to the application for this passage. And this is what makes it far more rigorous, maybe, to interpret this text rigidly. It's not, we're not being loose with the text by saying, I don't want you to go home and write on your doorway uh, the law of God. That would be fairly easy for us to follow. Instead, you need God and His Word to reign in your home. You write it on the posts of the door. Now, you don't have to, but I've given ourselves a little reminder. We've got a little coat rack, and it says there on the window, quotes Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And brothers and sisters, this gives us serious ground to stand on. That I don't care who you are, when you walk through my doorway, God reigns. I don't care if you're a very close friend, if you're a family member, if you're an authority in the community, if you're a doctor, a lawyer, or, or, or a president, or a king, or a priest, I don't care. God reigns this household. It's written on my doorpost. There's a whole new sphere of authority and you don't get to decide because I have said as an authority of household, I only pass that off to this greater authority. Because there is authority that rules even me. I too am a man under authority. We've heard that said in Scripture. And so when someone, when you come into your household, submit it entirely to God. How do you observe your feast? How, are, how do you steward well in your diet? How do you steward well in the teaching of your children then? So when your children hear you teach them diligently the Word of God, it's not this condescending in a list of instruction. It is because the entire household is under this authority that you're teaching them. Does that make sense? We write this Word of God, this entire law of God on our doorposts. And not just that, brothers and sisters, it's on our gates. Now, I don't have any little reminder out there on the road that lets people know this is a Christian household or nothing, nor do I think you have to. Sometimes it's kind of neat, but sometimes I think it can give uh, some sinful uh, temptation or, or, or something as we outwardly do this. You know, sometimes we've got people that, that have the fish or something on the back of their car and they cut you off in traffic, Right? So we got to be careful with that. At the same time, it doesn't take coming into my home to know that I'm a Christian. It's written on the gates. God's Word should identify us clearly. In other words, it is not the duty of the Christian to simply survive in the world. When we put this in a Christian context, when we put this in matters of a people of God entering a promised land that has had their enemies driven out and will have enemies round about them, their goal is not to survive the wicked nations or the wicked people. It is not to, to hide that. It's said, and I don't know if you've, we've heard of the Knights Templar, the Knights Templar was a, a private group of monks 
who, who took on knighthood in order to protect pilgrims who went to the promised land. It occurred during the time of the Crusades under the same sort of expansionist theory whenever we would kill people if they didn't want to become Christian. It's the same thing the Muslims are still doing today. But the Knights Templar caught great scrutiny, and I think justly so, because they had a practice in initiation of supposedly, I've read, spitting on the cross, of praying beforehand, spitting on the cross, and then asking forgiveness. They had a philosophy of live today, fight tomorrow. The courage of the Christian, I think, is the ability to look their captor in the eye and to confront death head on. Now there's a time, there's levels of discernment, there's times in which Christ fleed when His time was not yet come. But my point is, is brother and sister, we don't hide our cross under our shirt as we easily can with a pendant. We don't put our scriptures behind the desk or, or something where it's for us and not necessarily for everyone else. No, no, the Christian is loud about their faith. The Christian who does not share their faith perhaps does not believe it. We talked about that. When your children don't hear you preach to them the gospel, when you say, I don't push this on my children, well, your children knows right then you don't believe it actually. If you believe this Bible, then you would make everyone certain of what it teaches. You would let every dying soul know that there is salvation at the foot of the cross. You would write this on your gate so that there is no denying when someone comes by, this is a Christian. This is the testimony of the Word of God. It is why I think the Bible calls us to believe with the heart, but to confess with the mouth. We have a public testimony before man. And so God's Word should identify the home. And yet as I was studying this, there's something ironic, extremely ironic, that, that came into my study. We don't often, I think everyone here, it's not a hard thing for us to imagine that all of us don't have to have the, the phylacteries mounted to our head and to our wrists. There is another place in Scripture where we need to be concerned about signs on the hand and on the forehead. It comes at the very end. In Revelation 13. Verse 16. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand and all, or on their foreheads, and that no man might buy sell, save he that have the mark of the name of the beast or the number of his name. Now, what we ought to see as discerning individuals, discerning Christians, is it, is it may be possible that God in His grace would be so clear as to show a physical sign on the forehead or a sign on the hand 
for the mark of the beast. But what I can tell you is 100% clear is that it is in direct opposition to the people of God who have His Word and His law as frontlets between their eyes and a sign bound on their hand. The work and the thought is opposite. And so this is not something that, that we need to hash out this battle between uh, my necklace or headdress is prettier than your headdress. No. We need to be careful to discern who is the one whose thoughts and actions are dictated, who are driven, who, who whether they cast fear or, or doubt or even confidence and comfort in the world or in Christ. You don't get two marks. You don't get a mark of each. There's only one. Our era is absent of any more Bob Dylans who care to tell you that you got to serve somebody. You can't serve two masters. And if you don't bear the mark that this passage in Deuteronomy is telling you, if this Word of God is not dictating absolutely every facet of your life, if the passerby cannot walk by and tell the difference between you and the person of the world, brother or sister, you don't have the mark of God on your life. And it is an utterly dangerous place to be. Because the people of God are called into the land of God bearing God's mark, God's name. And in Revelation, if we did a little more study, we would find it is His name that rests upon us. We are called by His name and given a seal of His Spirit upon our heads. This is serious talk here in Deuteronomy. And yet for us, it has not gone away. It has not been dismissed in the use of phylacteries. It is something that has been expanded and been given such weighty eternal consequence that you are either in one camp or the other. There is no such thing as neutral ground. This is not a topic we can cover in a sermon. It is a mark that must identify you every day. It is something that you must think about tomorrow morning and Tuesday morning for years, for eternity. Sadly, the predicament in our age is we have a church that thinks it can take both marks. The larger evangelicalism thinks that they can preach Christ and hope that's offered through a worldly means. That it's okay for us to look just like the world. Brothers and sisters, this Bible divides the world from the people of God. It says that universalism is impossible. That all progressive Christianity is a blatant lie. Christ said, I've come to bring the sword. This is what we're talking about. 
There's a line in the sand for every human on the face of the planet. And brother or sister, it doesn't depend on, on your merit, your intellect, your worthiness, your anything. It depends on the worthiness of Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that gives us the right to, to step over that line is because God said so. And there's been far too many, far too many Christians, far too many churches and people of God that have not been challenged on this topic right here. And we need to think long and slow. We need to fasten ourselves on, on the name, the image, the work, uh, the mediation of Jesus Christ. And I don't think, just like the Jews, I don't think they get a get-out-of-jail-free card from some sort of jewelry. I, don't think, I think we'd be foolish to think that we get out of a jail-free card because we didn't wear some special jewelry or mark from the world. God's looking at you. God doesn't see as man sees. He sees the matters of the heart. He sees it loud and clear. And brother, sister, every one of you here, make no mistake, has a mark right now. Already. Now that needs to be made known. If it needs to be cash in, transformed, or something else, then there's only one place you can go to make that happen. But because I trust the word, I know that some will be made rigid. They will justify their actions. They'll justify their own stance. They'll justify the way that they've been teaching their children. They'll justify the way that they've been witnessing to their co-workers or not. They'll justify all of these little circumstances instead of coming to Christ and saying, woe is me of unclean lips. How could I come before the heavenly throne of a, of a glorious and almighty Father except by the blood of the Son? Look, not on my sin, but on the blood of Jesus Christ. Make me new. Bear me again in the Spirit this time, not in the flesh. Give me the help that it takes to put off the old man. That is all of Scripture. All of Scripture is to be at the forefront of our minds. It's supposed to characterize our hand and all the work that we do as we divide all it is, set down as a family and divide how, how much of your budget is for kingdom purposes and for worldly purposes. How much of the clock is spent for kingdom purposes or for worldly purposes. How much is of, of my affections is on worldly comforts or hobbies and kingdom purposes and glorious truths? How many of my relationships are fostered in the words of Scripture or those fostered in worldly entertainment? Word of God is what constitutes the Christian. 
For everyone who fastens this Word of God so, you are literally made a new creation. Let us not forget Jeremiah's prophecy, the most, one of the most beautiful ones in Scripture, that, that we will need to not teach one another or tell one another of the Word of God, but we will have it, His Word, written in our hearts. And we will be a new creation. And so we need to be transformed. And without a doubt, this isn't something that you come here and you say arbitrarily that, that I believe this to be true or this not. You are not the arbiter of truth. You have the opportunity to submit. You are one side or the other here. You accept this. You bind this. This identifies you Notably and publicly so, or it does not at all. For that, brothers, I think we are going to need help. A help that I think Christ Himself has provided by means of the Spirit. As we continue to think of this and to bind this more and more so each day, as we continually put off the old man and put on the new, as we long for the coming of Christ, the one in whom we'll partake of the tree of life, the promised land, the new Jerusalem, all of the things, all of the pictures. We have it in Jesus Christ. In Him we have our yes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to You and we recognize even as You redeemed a sinful people, Israel, and, and You promised them, you, you, you command them to take Your Word in their heart, on their head, and on their hand. Father, You, you promised them that You Yourself will do it, that You will write Your Word on our hearts. And so, God, we ask that You perform that action this morning. Lord, that we hear Your Word, receive Your Word, and that You apply it to us. This balm of Scripture, this life-giving Word. God, I pray that You make us a new people, a people unashamed of Your Gospel. One that preaches it to this community. That makes it known in our doorposts and on our gates. Father, that You don't allow us to stop short of this wicked and dark inward self that we've hidden for so long. But Lord, that You would dictate and govern our thoughts and our actions even to the innermost parts. God, I pray that Your Word, that the Gospel, the good news of hope in Jesus Christ would be so fastened to us as clearly, as clearly as Christ was identified by the scars in His hands and the crown of thorns on His head. Father, we long to take the name of Christ on us. Father, I pray that you grant us discernment 
that you grant us your spirit and your help in, in our time of distress, our time of need, and our time of temptation. Father, that we would forget all the things of the world, all the comforts of the world, everything that the world has to offer us. Lord, that we would overcome any, any mode of coercion and that we would hold fast to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And for this, God, we need you. Lord, that you wouldn't depart from your people, that you would fulfill your promises, that you would go with us and bring us in to that heavenly promised land. That the temple not made with hands. Father, that you would glorify yourself. That we would be your people in this way. That we would love your word this way. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to New Life Baptist Preaching, where we grow in discipleship, grow in relationships, and grow in Jesus Christ. Subscribe so you don't miss a single Sunday.